school nutrition dietitian here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind now you're ready for your academics focus time to handle business breakfast you don't want to miss it help your body to replenish clean food clear mind that is the vision tune in to the school nutrition dietitian everybody, welcome to another episode of School Nutrition Dietitian. Today I'm excited to have Deanna Appling on. She's the creator of the New Culture Norm podcast and the owner of Business Advocates Pro Inc. She specializes in professional development training and today I'm having her on to speak with us about leadership and how we motivate our teams. If you can't take notes during the show, don't worry. I've already taken notes for you. Just visit schoolnutritiondietitian.com, visit the podcast section, and join the mailing list. That way you'll have access to show summaries every time a new episode is released. All right, let's get started. Hi, Deanna. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Dahlia. I really appreciate you having me with you. I've been listening to your podcast and I heard you in some of the early episodes explain that you've worked with all types of organizations, even in, you know, nonprofits. And I just thought you'd be such a great fit for this show because company culture is an issue everywhere, but I don't think in food service management, we talk as much about how you build work culture. So first, can we get some background on you? What made you realize there was a need for your podcast? Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Uh, Well, I started my podcast basically because I was at that time um, in the middle of working with different clients and coaching and working with leadership teams regarding company culture and doing staff training. And when I would, you know, do further research on Google, most of the platforms and do different types of uh, or look for different types of insight on surveys and things like that, I started to notice that a lot of the insights that were provided were from other people who had a once, I don't want to say one-sided, but they had a different side of the view of company culture. And for me, what was important and, and really the major reason why I got into this type of industry and offering this service was to bring awareness and a lot more simple insight into what culture is and to allow people to understand how simple it can be to build culture, and it doesn't have to be an elaborate program, but more importantly, to bridge the gap between leadership teams and management teams and their employees. It seems like there's always this level of expectation that management has of how they want employees to perform, but there really aren't too many tools provided to managers of how to ensure that their teams can perform and reach those levels of of expectation. So I wanted to provide a in a sense, on-demand company culture resource where people can start to build culture intentionally and focus on leadership and employee engagement intentionally and simplify the process and stop making it so complicated and to understand how simple it is to implement that in your daily leadership walk. Mm. That That's a really common issue I notice is that people aren't always given any kind of leadership training before they're put in a leadership position. So I can imagine since the thought of work culture development feels a little advanced. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. (laughs) considering how limited leadership training usually is um, before you end up in that spot of needing all that information and training that you don't have, I'm sure most people don't get to, this level. So I can definitely see why this was needed. So is this the same? Oh, absolutely. Was that the same thought process behind developing your consulting firm in the first place? You already saw there was that gap there. Absolutely. And honestly, the example that you just gave is really what happened to me and how I ended up in the position that I am in today. 
Uh, I was someone who I, I was really blessed uh, in high school. You know, typically teenagers are getting their first jobs at a grocery store or a fast food restaurant. And um, I was blessed to have the opportunity to have my first job in an actual office. I worked for a medical practice. So the type of exposure that I had to how businesses work was something that typically you don't get at that age range. And from there, once I even worked there and started going working and getting other opportunities at other companies, one thing that I noticed was a common thing was that, like I mentioned, there was this expectation of how you should perform as an employee, but you really weren't giving, given the coaching or the guidance and the tools that you needed to be developed in that career path. And what was interesting is that, you know, I worked for some pretty awesome companies, but I always noticed that same pattern. And eventually I started to develop an attitude of, you know, seeing that this boss doesn't know what they're doing or if things could change this way, then, you know, everything would be better. And I had all of these ideas and thoughts. And so I developed this attitude that, you know, I would work my way up to become a leader or a manager and I would implement all of these great changes and see employees be so happy until I actually was given my first leadership role. And I didn't know how to be a leader. And that's something that um, a lot of people face, even just as you mentioned. You can easily get a role that requires you to be a leader and not know how to execute in that role. Mm -hmm. So when I was given the shoes to walk in to be a leader and I realized that I needed to learn what that meant, I decided to further my education and I basically engulfed myself in management science as well as leadership. And I went on to get my master's in management science and I just focused on what leadership was and how you can truly impact others through your influence as a leader. And once I started doing that and I was noticing that different people would come to me for, for insight and to answer questions or to help them with uh, different soft skills related uh, matters, it then became relevant to me to start actually doing this as a business. And that's how I got into actually consulting with businesses and organizations and coaching leaders to do the same. That is really interesting that you were interested in management and still, even with all those great ideas, once you were actually in the role, you realized it isn't quite as easy as it looks. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm sure that's <laughs> happened to a lot of people. It's always, it's easy to come up with suggestions when you're not like mm -hmm. in the weeds doing the things. So what Absolutely. would you say now that you have all this experience, is leadership something that should be built up in every employee, regardless of their level of responsibility or how many direct reports they have? Or now that you're at this point, how do you view leadership? I view leadership absolutely as something that needs to be groomed and developed in every employee, regardless of their title. The difference is only certain people within a workspace have a managerial title or a title that is, has, in a sense, a higher ranking. But not every manager is a leader and not every leader is a manager. And the difference between a leader and a great leader or a manager and a great leader is that they understand the impact of their influence. Because even if you aren't aware that you're influencing others and that you're influencing a team, if you have direct reports, you're still influencing them. So when you have that awareness about yourself, you can decide how you want to develop those people who report to you. And if you don't have a leadership title, you can also do the same thing. You can be aware of how you present yourself in that workspace with your customers, with whomever your end user or consumer is, and decide how you want to impact their lives through service, because that's what leadership is essentially, is impacting and influencing others through service. Hmm. That answers my question, what constitutes a good leader? Just so being intentional about how you're leading others 
and keeping the objective of service clear. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting um, to sort of tie into your initial question, does it matter if you have that title or not, or, you know, what type of role that you're in? I would say for managers or those who are in a leadership position, if you have direct reports, I notice that sometimes it isn't always common for someone in that role to automatically focus on how they're presenting themselves, how they're showing up as a leader in that role. And the biggest thing that I would say is to understand that regardless of whether or not you realize how you're influencing others, everyone has encountered a bad boss. (laughs) And you, even as that manager or leader, have might you may have also encountered a bad boss. And the biggest thing to think about is to have empathy and to put yourself in the shoes of your team. Do you want to be remembered as that dreadful boss? Do you want to be remembered as that unsaid, that selfish leader? What, because your team will inevitably start to move on and perhaps go on in their career. How do you want your impact to last on their leader, their career journey and leadership journey. Are you creating other leaders? Or are you creating people who are, in a sense, resentful of their experience with you? Mm. Those are some. <laughs> those are some tough questions, I'm sure, for um, some people yeah. to process. So I know there are a lot of good people that maybe can't answer those questions the way they would like to. What are Mm -hmm. some destructive leadership behaviors that people fall prey to, even if they're nice outside of work? What, what is it that makes people somehow lose sight of how their behavior is affecting others once they're under the pressure of being in charge? That's a great question. And I think you mentioned something that all of us, You know, you have different pressures and strains on you if you are in a leadership role. And when it comes to leading your team, it can be very easy and almost second nature to be affected by the things that are going on around you, uh, the constraints that you have in your workload, um, the overwhelm that you have. Not only do you have to produce and are you responsible for the output of the team, but now you have to focus on keeping them engaged. It can be overwhelming. Um, The biggest thing that I would say is to make sure that you are aware of who you are and how you're showing up as a leader. And the best way to do that is to do um, a leadership survey or a leadership questionnaire. And that's actually something that I offer where you can determine what your leadership style is. And the great thing about that is you are aware of your strengths as a leader and how they can impact the way you interact with your team, your expectations of them. And it may at first seem a bit overwhelming or maybe it may sting a little bit to think, you know, am am I impacting my team in a negative way? But the sooner you're honest with yourself about how you're impacting them, the sooner you can start to make different changes that will allow them to respond better towards you and ultimately in what you're looking for, show up better in their daily work life. Mm -hmm. And it's important to, for any human, it's human nature to have tons of emotions on a daily basis. But we all know that as adults, we have to be aware of that and ensure that we're not operating from a place of emotion, but operating from a place of empathy. And once we just, you know, take the the uncomfortable nature away from that and we can just honestly look at how we're showing up, we can start to impact change and focus on the areas that we may need to improve on. The biggest thing I would suggest is making sure that you're avoiding toxic behaviors uh, that can negatively impact your team. Some of those toxic behaviors from a leadership standpoint can include uh, gossiping, uh, be openly disciplining or berating employees. That's definitely something you don't want to do. Uh, Not being in control of your emotions and openly displaying anger and frustration and profanity and things like that. Those are definitely characteristics that you want to control because 
if you can exert those behaviors, you're teaching your team that that is a norm in this workplace. That is a norm in our culture, because if the leader is doing it, we can as well. Mm, that's a really good point. Now, I I took a leadership class through work a while ago when I was a clinic lead. And most of the feedback I got, I found like palatable. <laughs> it was uh, easy <laughs> to make some tweaks, but there was mm-hmm. a smaller percentage that based on all the other feedback, these were outliers. And mm-hmm. let's just say <laughs> these people were not fans. They weren't fans. <laughs> um, is it realistic to expect like a 100% approval rating or how do you know what to work on, especially if somebody identifies something that you don't see as an issue in yourself and not mm-hmm. many other people are saying the same thing? Like, how do you know what advice to really focus on and what to throw out? Mm, that's a very, very good question. I think the biggest thing to pay attention to if you do get feedback about your leadership practices or something that may be a weakness or an area of improvement about your leadership, number one, remove emotion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's important to receive the feedback and understand that that feedback doesn't necessarily have to be true about you as a leader entirely, but maybe in a particular instance or a certain type of matter or approach. The person who may be giving you that feedback has a different experience of working with you than perhaps someone else because Mm -hmm. our interactions with everyone is different. So they may encounter a, a side of you or a way that you may be addressing something that someone else may not have. So removing emotions first will allow you to receive the feedback openly and willingly without uh, a wall up. And I would encourage you to ask, I guess, engaging questions about their feedback. You know, well, what made you think that? Or how did you come to that conclusion? Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? Ask questions to get further insight. And when you get that insight about the feedback they're giving you, just take time to process it. I think that's something that we don't do enough is in general, but especially as leaders, the great part of communication and the, one of the more important parts of communication is the listening aspect. So when you get that information, just take some time to really think about it and be honest about what was given. And I feel, I feel that once you do that, you're able to then determine is this something that I do need to work on? Or is it a specific trigger that only caused me to uh, approach the situation in this manner with this person? And then from there, you can start to uncover how you can address that and, and what you can do about it going forward. But the bigger picture is to not use that set of feedback that you're given as the end all be all for who you are as a leader. We all have had it, you know, and they're going to be perceived differently by the different people that we encounter daily. Okay. That really helps. So a practical tip is definitely take some time to process it. I think seeing it from um, removing emotion might be a tall order. If the person Mm -hmm. touches on something that is a recurring theme in (laughs) your attempts to interact with other human beings. So, you know, everybody has little quirks and parts of their personality that maybe don't go over so well with others. So Mm -hmm. if you feel triggered by the feedback, how do you neutralize your feelings about it? Are there, is there a trick for that? Do you just go to therapy? Like, what do you do with that? (laughs) <laughs> um, if, the, if you feel that therapy is necessary, depending on uh, the significance of the trigger, by all means, go to therapy. Um, personally, I would say for myself, uh, I, I've gotten to a place where if I hear feedback and it is a bit triggering for me, I have to always be conscious of how I'm showing up for the people I'm leading, how I'm showing up for the people that I'm interacting with. And 
I believe that when you have that mindset of self-awareness, you you stop yourself from proceeding in a defensive way and from being easily offended. There's a way to for people to give feedback and there's a way for people to receive feedback. And for me, the bigger picture is at the end of the day, I want to be the best leader that I can be. I want to impact the lives of people that I encounter and I want to serve them in such a way that they are able to be the best version of themselves. So if the information that I'm given, although it may be triggering, maybe it's something I didn't want to hear, whatever the case is, if I can take that information and align it to my end goal of bringing out the best in people and serving them and determine how I can uh, handle that, that matter better, what I can do to better approach it in the next situation, then I have to make that the priority and deal with the emotion second. It doesn't mean that I won't be, I maybe won't feel some form of, of offense <laughs> and I maybe, it, it, maybe I am frustrated by it, but at the bigger picture is how does this affect the leader that I want to be? I can deal with the emotions separate from that and then figure out why does that make me feel offended? Why do I feel the urge to defend myself rather than addressing the matter that was given to me? Oh, wow. That is a lot to think about. That's fantastic. So I can see how that changes everything. If you are clear that your mission is, to serve the people that report to you and to help them perform at their highest level. I think taking the focus off of yourself helps with so many things. So that's a really it good does. point. You mentioned soft skills early on in our conversation. What are the soft skills that you think we need to focus on to be aware of how we're presenting ourselves to others that you deal with with your clients a lot? Oh, wow. There's so many. Um, <laughs> I would say first things first, and we funny enough, we've actually touched on this to some regard. I think it's important, especially if you're in a leadership role or a leadership role, you have to understand how to give feedback and how to receive feedback. And that's a soft skill that Many of us have never been taught, you know, officially how to do. There really isn't, you know, there definitely isn't a course on how to do that. You know, if you're in college or you're getting your degree, I'm sure that you've taken some form of a communications course, which is great. And like I mentioned earlier, when it comes to communicating, the biggest aspect of communicating is listening so that you can actually speak to understand and not just constantly focus on saying your next point. But I think that with leaders, if we are more conscious of the way that we give feedback and how we receive feedback from our team, we would actually avoid many of the barriers that tend to come about within the workplace because we're then putting ourselves in a situation to allow our team to understand why we're giving them feedback, their understanding what their work uh, contributes to as far as the bigger picture. And if we can convey that to them as we're giving them feedback and receive their feedback as well, we're making them feel heard. We're making their concerns a priority also, which definitely helps in the employee engagement aspect. I also believe that another strong uh, soft skill that leaders should have is emotional intelligence. We've touched on can that, that as well. <laughs> or can that be learned I, if you if you don't have it? I was under the impression, and this could be completely wrong, that it's mm -hmm. one of those things that you can measure and that some people just don't seem to have a lot of it. That is, that can be accurate to a degree, but emotional intelligence can be taught. It's more, it's basically the same thing as leadership to, to a, a degree. You, to be an effective leader and to be a servant leader, you're focusing on serving others. 
So in order to do that, similar to what we mentioned earlier, we have to remove ourselves from the equation and focus on the person and the people that we're serving, that we're leading. And an aspect of emotional intelligence is the ability to understand when you are giving feedback, to remove your emotions. You can give feedback in a way that does not include anger, that does not include frustration and disappointment. And we have to be so conscious of making sure that we're not leading from a place of emotion because emotions are temporary. They change by the day, the hour, even the minute, and the weather. So when we leave our leadership practices to the sole control of how we're feeling at the moment, where does that take our team? Where does that drive our team towards? And there are several resources about uh, emotional intelligence and books as well. I actually um, am also a, a fan of a few of those. And it, it really just shows you how to cultivate that skill set. And just like any other soft skill, it's not something that you can typically learn in a class, but it's something that's necessary when interacting with other people. And being emotionally intelligent improves your relationship building skills. It improves how you handle situations, how you respond to situations, and ultimately how you influence others to do the same. I want to get some of those resources from you so I can put them in the show notes. I'm sure that'd be helpful. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned servant leadership. Now, some people, maybe the word servant doesn't appeal to them since sometimes people end up in leadership positions that enjoy a sense of hierarchy and they want to be a little bit higher up on the food chain at work and maybe the concept of servant leadership turns them off. Can you talk a little bit about what research there is to support that this is the effective way to lead a team? Absolutely. Similar to what we mentioned earlier, I was talking about the bad boss. No one wants to be referenced or remembered as the bad boss. Studies have shown that employees aren't leaving companies because they want more money. They're not leaving companies because they just got this great opportunity. Now, don't get me wrong. That can definitely be a perk as to why they leave, the incentive. But ultimately, the majority of employees are leaving companies because of a bad boss. They would rather get away from a person and even take a pay cut if that requires them to do so, just so that they can work in an environment where they feel that they have the the ability to showcase their skills and really develop themselves as a professional. When it comes to the term servant leadership, you're absolutely right. A lot of people focus on the word servant, which is so interesting to me when the first word is leadership or the second word is leadership, actually. And when it comes to servant leadership, you have to denounce the notion that it means that you're being a peasant. It's the total opposite. When you're of service to someone, it basically means that you're tending to their needs so that they can do what you expect them to do. And that's what servant leadership is. You're making sure that your team is equipped with everything that they need to do the job that you hired them to do well. You're being of service to them by removing their frustration. If they're broken workflow process and they're telling you about this, and you know that this is stopping and hindering their performance, wouldn't you want to take care of that issue for them? That's an act of service. And it's interesting that many times when you talk about servant leadership, there is this um, taboo feeling about the term servant. But in many other areas of life, we can talk about service and it's fine. And if I and being honest with my personal opinion about that, I believe that the main reason people have a problem with the term servant in conjunction to leadership is because they believe leadership is about power rather than influence. And that in turn just basically gears the focus towards ego rather than engagement. Wow. 
That's a mouthful. I'm taking it all in. So how (laughs) would you define work culture and how can leaders be intentional in developing it? Sure. So company culture, first and foremost, I always like to say it's not this program and it's not a survey. Yes, you can have a team dedicated to focusing on the company culture status and maintaining it. You can also have and utilize a survey to determine what your company culture is but that is not the culture. Your company culture is essentially a set of unwritten norms of what is considered okay and acceptable about how everyone behaves and interacts with each other in the workplace. So many times, you know, people have a set of of core values that are maybe hanging on a plaque in the break room, or it's been given to employees in the handbook once they begin their onboarding process when they're hired. But are those values lived out, seen, and witnessed every single day by everyone in that company? And many times it is not. So your values are just words on paper, but the culture is what's unwritten. It's how people find it normal to interact with each other is yelling and constant arguing and disrespectful behavior okay in this office? Is it normal for managers to scream at employees and never seek their feedback about their job role and why things are done? Is it common for employees to complain to customers or in front of customers about things that are happening in the office? Those unwritten norms, because it's happening constantly and no one is raising a flag or identifying this as toxic and dysfunctional behavior, that's what the culture is. And once managers and leaders are aware that how people are interacting with each other every single day and how they're interacting with their team every single day is the culture, then you can become more aware and more strategic with how you can go about implementing change. But the first step is acknowledging it. And why does workplace culture matter? What does that affect? Absolutely. Uh, company culture, even though for some reason over the years, because it, the term has become a lot more uh, popular, which is a great thing. More awareness is being brought to it. But there are moments where people think of culture as like a buzzword. It's sort of fluff. You know, the, it's something that sounds good, but why do we really need to care about it? And the biggest thing about company culture is to understand the way that your people, your employees are showing up doing their work, how they're interacting with your customers is a affecting your business, once you realize this, then you're able to be more intentional about what you want this culture to be. And studies have shown that when companies are focusing on company culture, they have been proven to increase their customer satisfaction by 40%. They've been shown to increase their employee engagement by 40% and also increase profits by 35%. So at the end of the day, focusing on culture and making that a priority is good for business. It's a good case for business. And even with those three stats that I just mentioned, I always like to highlight the fact that the biggest increase focuses on people. The increase in customer satisfaction by 40%, the increase in employee engagement by 40%, profit was only a 35% increase. And To me, that is a testament of how important it is to focus on your people, your employees, and your customers, your end consumer. The experience that they have with your company will affect your profit because it affects how they show up and whether they keep coming back. Hmm. And that definitely applies with us because in some areas of education, your funding is more dependent upon enrollment, whereas we only make money when we serve someone, when someone decides to eat with us. So we, if we don't have happy customers, we really can't run effective 
programs. I was listening to one of your intros to your podcast where you talk about engagement um, basically being the key to getting your employees to perform because they want to, not because they have to. They have to. How Mm -hmm. do you inspire people or what's the difference between inspiring people and motivating people and what do you do if you're already in a workplace where people are run down and demoralized? Let's say you inherited a team that has been beat up maybe by someone else. <laughs> mm, yeah, and that happens. <laughs> uh, first things first, I think that is extremely important to understand why employee engagement matters. Again, that's something that can be perceived as another buzzword, and it can be perceived as this notion where everybody is just getting together and singing kumbaya and we're holding hands and nothing is wrong. We don't have any problems, and that's the furthest from the truth. The simplest way to understand employee engagement is to understand that the effects of a disengaged employee. And Gallup reported that in the U.S. alone, there are only 35% of employees who are engaged in the workplace. Just 35%, and that's in the United States. So that means that there (laughs) are over half. (laughs) Yes, there are over half of people, over 60% of United States employees who are actively disengaged in the workplace. I have to insert that people are always accusing millennials of requiring (laughs) a lot of pampering to stay engaged, but millennials do not make up that much of the workforce. So that must mean there are people who are disengaged across these generational divides. And just because you're sitting up straight and keeping your eyes open, it doesn't mean that you're engaged. Absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head because those disengaged employees, they're actively disengaged, meaning that they're only doing just enough work just to stay there, just to get by. They're not going the extra mile. They're not doing their work with intentionality and precision and quality. They're just doing the very bare minimum just to keep the job. What does that mean for the service that's then provided to your customers or your end consumer? That means that they're getting the lower end of the totem pole when it comes to quality customer service. And you're absolutely right. It's not just millennials. It's everyone. And I always reference employee engagement and the importance of employee engagement to a marriage. Number one, employee engagement is not an HR responsibility. It's the responsibility of every manager and leader of who has direct reports. And it's relationship building. It's not a program. So when you think of a marriage, there are, you, you go on a few dates at first, you know, you're actively engaged with that person. You want to learn everything about them so that you can be of service to them, so that you can be of service in that relationship and help them be the best version of themselves, remove obstacles and, and things like that from their path. And in a marriage, you also have to be intentional about nurturing the connection that you have with your partner. That is essentially the exact same concept of employee engagement. You have to nurture that connection. Now, that does not mean that you have to be uh, best friends with your team. (laughs) You can definitely be friendly and not be friends. (laughs) And when doing so, it's mainly you telling and showing your employees that you recognize them as a person. And every person has an innate desire for human interaction and connection. And because you understand that they have a life outside of the workplace, that ultimately affects how they show up and perform in the workplace, you connecting with them to just know and do simple things to nurture that connection helps them feel connected to not just you, but the business that they're working for. And they'll want to show up every day. They'll want to do their best work. They'll 
care a little bit more about the people that they're servicing because they're working for someone who cares for them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What do you recommend people do if they find themselves in a toxic work environment and they have the desire to remain professional in said environment and they're not able to move on? How do you do that? How do you navigate that? And just to clarify, are we speaking of a toxic employee or a leadership or someone in leadership? An employee who has no direct reports, who is someplace where developing a healthy work culture maybe isn't a priority, but they see themselves as a professional and they're trying Mm -hmm. to maintain that professionalism in a less than ideal environment. Oh, perfect. Thank you for clarifying that. I wanted to make sure that I was answering it um, accurately, but that happens all the time. And I can speak for experience that happened with me multiple times and it can be difficult we've talked about, you know, understanding the importance of emotional intelligence and not acting and reacting emotionally. But I think the bigger picture here is understanding one that you influence others regardless of your job title. So how you're showing up every day in the midst of the chaos and the dysfunction definitely shows who you are as a professional and the values that you hold individually as a professional. So by all means and at all costs, maintain that because that is your stake to standing out in whatever role that you're in. I would also add to that that it's very important to identify if your values align with the values of the company that you're working for. Just like we mentioned earlier with, you know, core values and how a lot of times that's just, they're just words that are on paper that the company says they represent, but the culture, the unwritten norms is saying something different. If you are finding that it is pretty much dreadful and unbearable for you to remain working in that environment and you're trying to determine should you stay and, you know, try and implement change yourself or promote change or go elsewhere, take a look at your values. Literally get a sheet of paper and a pen and write down what your professional values are. Is it operating out of integrity, doing the the right thing when no one is looking, your work ethic, punctuality, whatever you feel your professional values are for you, make a list of that. And when you do so, start to now observe and be reflective of the values that are present in action within your company. And if there is no alignment there, I highly, highly suggest that you begin the job search process because what you don't want to do is stay in that type of environment that's going to essentially continue to bring you down and it will influence you to become resentful, to become disengaged and be a part of that 60 plus percent of U.S. employees that don't want to go the extra mile and do their best work because you want to in that office. And what's important is making sure that no circumstance can influence you to basically discredit all of the hard work and expertise that you've developed along the way to be the professional that you are. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's a tough decision to make. Sometimes people may take a job because of its location or because the schedule really works for them. So sometimes and it's not so easy to find another option. I know in the past yeah. people used to say, and I'm sure people still say this, so I don't know why I'm saying you see, that you can mm-hmm. uh, lead from the bottom up as well. But after yeah. reading things like Good to Great and other books on leadership, I really wonder how healthy an organization can be if there is some sort of dysfunction higher up. What is your view? That is a very good point and a very interesting point at that because that is common, unfortunately, where 
you have people who aren't in an executive level position or a decision-making position from the top who understand the importance of company culture and employee engagement and leadership, but you have managers and leaders at the top who don't see that. And it can be very strenuous uh, when you're in that position where you are trying to figure out how can you impact or implement change. And honestly, this is going to sound extremely simple, and I'm sure people have heard this before, but you can't control what others do. And we've all been taught this um, from young ages. We can't control what they do, but we can control how we influence them and how we impact uh, the environment that we're in. Honestly, I would look for ways to be a part of the solution. If you're noticing that there is a huge uh, discrepancy and dysfunction in, in the company culture, and you do want to take that initiative to present that case to upper level management, don't do it from a place of complaining, but be a part of the solution to that problem. Perhaps they're not seeing the same view that you see because of the level in which they sit of of their position. So if you're noticing some things that need to be changed and more importantly, how they are negatively impacting the business or the customers, the the biggest piece of advice that I can give you is to identify the problem, come up with solutions, and also explain how it affects the business overall. When you can do that, or and even if you don't see how it affects the business overall, show how and explain how it'll affect your team, if that's the level in which you have um, visibility to or insight to, or how it affects the customer. Come with a plan, because many times managers don't have the time to focus on the problems that are happening. And when you approach them, they should, don't get me wrong, they should make time for that. But many managers don't, and they don't know how to prioritize that. So if you're coming to them with this, you don't want to complain because now you're looking like you're a part of the problem. But when you have a plan or an I draft of a plan and any type of solution that can show them, hey, this is what I'm noticing, here's how we can fix it, and this is why we need to fix it, they will be more apt to listen to you and to work with you to take action. That is so helpful. That's really great advice. I really appreciate you coming on. Is there one thing that you would like to make sure everybody walked away with today? One little sound bite. Uh. My sound bite for the episode. I'm trying to package it all into one bite. <laughs> my sound, my sound bite for this episode would honestly be to focus on how you show up and the influence that you have in whatever job level or position that you may be in. No matter what our titles are, we impact people's lives every day. And there will always be an opportunity for change, but it's about making the decision of whether or not you will be a part of that change and if you will be a catalyst for it. If you are in a position where you see that there is a toxic nature in the company culture and the engagement levels are low, employees are upset and they are disgruntled, There is a way to get out of that, and the process isn't as difficult as people perceive it to be. It's just about the initiative and the conscious, committed actions that you take to make people a priority so that your profits will follow. Mm. Thank you so much. Where can people find you online? Absolutely. Uh, If you have any questions or um, any insight, I will leave leave my email address with you, but you can send that to culture at businessadvocatespro.com. And if you are interested in the services that I do offer, you can go to baproinc.com. That's B-A-P-R-O-I-N-C.com. And 
In addition to that, if you're interested in uh, company culture information and learning how to be intentional about employee engagement, your leadership practices, and rebuilding your culture, feel free to subscribe to the Culture Building Like a Pro podcast that's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play, and on Instagram as well as Facebook. Book. You can go to at BA Pro Inc. and I will look forward to connecting with each of you. And I also want to make sure that I mention that uh, if you do find that you are struggling with how to keep your employees engaged and Google just isn't working as far as activities to choose from, I'm offering all listeners uh, of the School Nutrition Dietitian Podcast 15% off of the employee engagement planning packet. And I will leave those links with Dahlia as well so that you can grab that. And if you are ready to start the process of changing your company culture and you just need some guidance and you want to know what those first steps are, I would love to jump on a complimentary call with you as well. And we can start your process today. Fantastic. I'm going to put all of those links in the show notes. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you got as much out of that episode as I did. The way Deanna presents leadership makes it really clear that stepping into a leadership role is an opportunity for you to pursue self-development in a way that is rarely accessible in other roles, really making a dedicated effort to focus on removing your ego from situations, improving your communication skills, and focusing on the needs of others in the workplace. It really is an opportunity for tremendous personal growth. I also appreciate the takeaways for people who aren't in decision-making positions right now that you do affect the people around you. And no matter what your title and how many direct reports you have, we would all benefit from looking at how we present ourselves at work. And does it match what you're hoping to project and what changes can you make to get yourself in alignment with your personal values. No one wants to be remembered as the bad boss. That's absolutely true. If you got anything at all out of this episode, please review the show on iTunes, share it with your friends, your coworkers, anyone that you think might benefit. If you have any topics that you think you would like to have covered, please contact me, Dahlia at schoolnutritiondietitian.com. If there's anyone that you think has a lot to share, if you have a lot to share, please let me know. Um, let's get you on the books. School All right. Until next time. Here on a mission to show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious. Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside. Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind. Now you're ready for your academics. Focus. Time to handle business. Breakfast. You don't want to miss it. Help your body to replenish. Clean food. Clear mind. That is the vision. Tune in to the school nutrition dietitian. Woo.